Leviticus chapter 23, uh, real uh, short passages, verses 1 through uh, 4. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are whose feast? Notice they're not Jewish or Israel, they're his feast. Six days shall your work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feast of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. Father, we thank you for this appointed time to be together in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys so much. Uh, today, I'm, we'll just get, this is, will be an overview of the seven feasts of the Lord. Now, if you're of the Lord, then these are your feasts because they're his and you're his. Uh, these are God's feasts. Um, he instituted this. Man didn't come up with this. And so God has his own calendar. You and I use a calendar uh, because Pope Gregory in the 15th um, century said we would use his. Actually, the 14th century, I guess. And, uh, but, so that's where that calendar comes from. And it's named after a lot of pagan people, you know, July, Julius, Caesar, uh, all, you know, a lot of those Mar marches, Mars, and they're foreign, you know, gods and deities. And that don't mean you got to go home and throw away your Gregorian calendar, but just suffice it to say that it's not, you know, sanctified necessarily, okay? Monday, moon day, you know, it's all for this foreign gods and stuff like that. And it's, it's become in, interwoven in our culture to the point that we don't even think about it anymore. And because that we've moved away from God's calendar uh, for the most part, and away from Judaism, our roots, we miss a lot of revelation and we are not aware of a lot of things that God has put in his calendar. Now, some of you have heard me talk about this, and, and I understand this, okay? Unless this is something you study fairly often, you know, you're probably not even going to remember it from one year to another, but I want you to know why that we are setting aside these times to meet here at the church. Uh, the word convocation means a solemn assembly. The word feast is the Hebrew word moed, and the word moed does not mean less, when you say feast to an American, they think of Thanksgiving dinner, okay, or lunch or whatever. No, no, the word feast in the Bible is moed, which means an appointed time. So God has an appointed time that he uh, is working off of and doing everything that he does according to these seven feasts. And, uh, and so you don't have to twist the scripture, stretch anything. It hadn't got anything to do with whether you're Methodist or Baptist or Catholic or whatever you are. You don't have to mess with this. This is, this is all God. And, and none of those denominations or nobody with any you know, basic knowledge can argue these feasts. Because God is working off of this calendar, and he has proven it thus far. I don't know why he would throw away the last part and just ignore it. All of this speaks of the Messiah. Now, uh, about 2 o'clock this morning, I had to take a decongestant so I could continue to breathe and possibly sleep the rest of the night. So if I, if I drank some water, you know, uh, just say that's why he's drinking a lot of water today, Okay. I don't want to give you a dry sermon. Hallelujah. All right. In Leviticus 23, we didn't read all that for sake of time. In that one chapter, uh, God chronologically, in order, lists these seven feasts that he gives uh, there to Moses in Leviticus 23. And I didn't, I didn't read all of them. He tells them uh, 
each of these feasts. And remember, the feast means an appointed time. Now, the first feast is the feast of Passover. And, of course, that's when Jesus, everything that God does begin and is based on the Passover of the Lamb of God. There's only ever been one Passover, right? And that was like 3,500 years ago or longer in, uh, in Egypt when God delivered the children of Israel from the bondage of Pharaoh in Egypt. And, and they are no more, and he destroyed them in the Red Sea, in water baptism, if you will. And so every observance from there forth has been a remembrance of that one Passover. And in the same token, Jesus has only been to the cross one time, and he's only shed his blood one time. And because of that, then every other observance of it, in other words, every observance that Israel did after that, they didn't take blood and put it on the doorpost and the lintel like they did uh, in Egypt. They only did that one time because Jesus only shed his blood one time. Are you with me? And now they've done observances and they would have a Passover Seder or meal to remember that Passover, but there's only been one Passover, and that's important that you know that. Jesus has only went to the cross one time. He's not coming back to the cross a second time. He has paid once and for all for all of sin for all of mankind, and not only for those of the church, but those of the entire world. Amen. You come here often, you hear that often, all right? So the Passover lamb. This holiday, this holiday, you ever heard the word holiday? Who don't like holidays? We've got a lot of holidays. You cannot find any nation, tribe, or people on the planet who, who don't uh, observe some type of holidays. Now, just because it's not a Christian or, or a, you know, God's holiday doesn't mean you have to you throw it away. But there's a lot of holidays that ain't got anything to do with, with God. Uh, will somebody hand me a palm, Ron? Maybe just hand me a palm. Now, listen, I'm going to say some things. And if you're new here, I mean, I mean, you know, just get over it. Um, but I'm going to say some things. And, and listen, and because that we don't know these seven feasts, it opens us up to believe a lot of things that are simply not true. Now, some people don't care whether things are true or not. Uh, me, the way I'm wired, I want to know what's right, you know, and what's true and what's not true and what's just religious. So on a lot of your Gregorian calendars, you'll see the Sunday before Easter, uh, you'll see a little thing wrote on your Gregorian calendar that says what? Palm Sunday. That's a holiday now. And a lot of churches observe Palm Sunday. And I'm not saying they're wrong if they do. Do you hear me? I'm not saying it's stupid to do that. I'm not saying you're violating something. I'm not saying God's mad at you or that you're dumb and I'm smart. I'm not doing any of that. But I'm just saying that's not in the Bible. There is no holiday called Palm Sunday in the Bible. It doesn't appear in Scripture. Well, why do they do it, Brother Dale? Because Jesus rode in to the city, uh, you know, prior to his crucifixion. And uh, it probably was not Sunday. But when he rode in <laughs> to the city, they brought out palm branches, remember? And they waved palms, and they threw their garments in front of them, and then they made this cry out of, out of Psalms, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is all reciting uh, Feast of Tabernacles. Now, in, in the Feast of Tabernacles, this last one over here, uh, it, it, it instructs us to use palms, and, and they use them in worship. Now, you and I have palms built on us. So if you don't have one of these, thank you, Andy, Katrina, and all the laborers that went out and got these South Georgia palms that we call palmettas or whatever. And, uh, and, uh, but we're going, we didn't really do it this morning. Some did. But tomorrow night, come up and get you one of these. 
Uh, you, you might as well practice now because you're going to have to do it when you get to heaven. For real. The Bible says in Revelation that when John saw in heaven, they were all around the throne waving palm branches, worshiping God and, and, and giving him praise. So you might as well practice up so you don't look you know, stupid when you get up there and don't know what you're doing. Okay? So get you a palm during the worship uh, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and wave that palm to the Lord. Now listen, there's only two times in the Bible in the New Testament that it records Jesus is weeping. Okay? Now one of them was when Lazarus died, right? His friend. The second time he wept is over Jerusalem in Matthew 23, 24. And uh, when, he, when Jesus came in, he saw he was riding on a what? Baby donkey. That doesn't look like a conquering soldier, does it, or conquering king. You ever been to a rodeo where they send out the clown on a baby donkey? Or, and just, God don't even have to do nothing. Just open, you know, open the gate and let him ride out in the arena and riding the baby donkey with his feet dragging the ground and everybody starts laughing. You don't even have to be dressed funny, right? Come, it's not hard, y'all. Uh, now, now get your imagery right. That's how Jesus rode into Jerusalem. That's how he rode in. That expresses humility. Because he wasn't coming in there to conquer the city or conquer Rome, like his disciples thought or wanted him to do. He was coming in there to offer himself as the Passover lamb to be sacrificed and slain for the sin of the world. And why was Jesus crying? Well, he says why he was crying. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's crying over the city. Why? Because he knew that within 70 years, Jerusalem would be absolutely decimated, destroyed, and the temple would be destroyed, and many lives would be lost if they didn't. He just wanted to flee, and most didn't. Now, I did a teaching here last uh, March, April of this year and uh, on God's grace and the end of the world, and so we got those CDs available for you. Uh, not today, but we can get them for you. They may have some ready, I don't know, out at the booth, but it can really help you. Because, see, if you don't know these feasts, then that's why you'll buy into a seven-year tribulation coming. Yeah, stuff like that. If you don't know these feasts, that's why you'll believe that Jesus was crucified on Good Friday. But Good Friday is not a holiday in the Bible. It is in the church, but need to change it to Good Wednesday because that's actually when he got crucified was on a, on a Wednesday, not on a Friday. Well, why, why does it matter? Well, I don't know. God's, you know, God's pretty specific about how he does stuff. The reason it matters is because you can't die on Friday, get put in the tomb on Friday evening, and then come out Sunday morning at sunrise and be in there three days and three nights. That's why it matters. And a lot of people that hear Christians teach that, and most do, in America at least, you're not challenged by the fellow Christians because they believe the same stuff you did. Why do they believe it? Because they read it in the Bible? No, because the preacher said that's how what happened. Now, you're going to get mad at me. I know some of them out there on Facebook going to get mad, whatever. I'm not trying to tear up your stuff, man. But Jesus, out of his own mouth, said in the New Testament, in the book of Luke, they said, you know, why should we believe in you? What sign will you give us that, you know, like you're the Messiah? He said, no sign shall be given you but except the sign of Jonah the prophet. And Jesus said, this is my bona fide to you. This is my bona fide sign to you. In other words, I'm not going to give you a sign, but I will give you one sign. This is how you'll know that I'm the true Messiah. As Jonah the prophet was three days 
and three nights in the belly of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then he'll rise. Now you take your best calculator and you put him in the grave at sundown on Friday and get him out at sunrise service that you're having on Sunday morning. And best I can tell, 24 times 3 be what? Not hard, y'all. 72. You take your best calculator and you put him in the grave at sundown on Friday and bring him out on Sunday morning at your sunrise service and you tell me how you get 72 hours out of that. This is why you come to church. Now, it don't matter to some people, and some people get mad that I even bring that up. But it's, it's not, it's just not right. Jesus, the Passover lamb, God says this holiday will begin on, in the Hebraic calendar of Nisan on the 14th. Now, God's very specific about that, so we don't have to figure out what day that is. It is a one-day holiday. It starts on the 14th of the month of Nisan. Now, what gets confusing is uh, uh, a lot of you have heard like Rosh Hashanah. And what does that mean? The, the head of the, uh, Rosh Hashanah is Hebrew for the head of the year, start of a new year. But that is of their civil calendar. We've just come through Rosh Hashanah a few days ago. God's not working off the, the civil calendar that they came up with. God's still working off his religious calendar, the one he started. Okay. Now, everything that God has done with his son Jesus is in congruence with these feasts. I don't have time to go through all that. I don't even know, you know, if we might, I could even talk about it during, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night if, if we want to or whatever. Might pray for the city. I don't know what to do. Uh, Jesus was born. It can be readily shown. And if you don't believe it, that's fine. One thing we probably all know that he wasn't born on December 25th. Okay? Now, that doesn't make that evil. And I've done pastored people that you know, burn your Christmas trees and all that stuff like that. Well, I'm not going to burn mine. I'm not going to try to fight a losing battle. And so uh, when my, my kids were little, and I, I would pastor people that would be horrendously offended that I had a Christmas tree or they heard I did. Uh, whatever. We used to hang a big nail because it's so heavy we had to put it on the, on the bark, I mean the, what you call it, main branch, yeah, yeah, the trunk of the tree, trunk of the tree, thank you. And I'd set my kids down, and now I, I, I tried it one year, like, you know, we get on Christmas morning, and, and we're going to, you know, do the Bible story about Jesus and pray, and all. then you're going to open your presents. <laughs> Forget that. Uh, so that, I threw that away quick. So then once all the wrapping paper, and when they were little, they know, they know this, they go here, you can ask them, but when they were little, after all the dust settled and the package wrapping settled, then I'd set my kids down, and I'd tell them why we're we doing what we're doing. Okay? And I'd point everything on the tree. And I said, now, Daddy hung a spike in here because just like this tree's green, but it's been cut down, it's going to die. And Jesus died on this tree, a tree like this, for you and me. I tell him these, things, these, these ornaments are decorated all over this tree, but these remind us of the gifts that God's given us. He's given us ascension gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip us. He's given us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. See that star on top? He's the bright morning star. He, he is that sign. He's that, my daughter. And so I just teach them. Now, when I get older, you know, that goes out the window. But you do what you do, you know. Now, Jesus was born, and it can be shown. In other words, you got nothing besides it. I got scripture and the preponderance of the evidence. We'll do it that way, okay. And it tells us, you know, 
when, uh, how do you know that? It tells us when John the Baptist was born. It tells us what course of the priesthood he was ministering. And, and we're talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth there. And, and it, it gets a little complicated. But Jesus was born on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And he was dedicated or circumcised on the eighth day like all Jewish babies were. And he was given his name, Yeshua, Jesus, which was not an unusual name. And in fact, the guy that, got cruci- uh, that was to be crucified, that Jesus took his place, his name was Barabbas, and you all know him as that. If you read other translations, for example, like the Moffat translation of the New Testament, Pilate walked Jesus out on the balcony, remember, and he, on each side, on one side he had Jesus, and on the other side he had Barabbas, right? And he said, who do you that I, that, who do you that I release unto you? But actually what Pilate said, because it didn't really make sense, you know, who do you that I release to you, the way he even worded all that, because even the Moffat translation of the New Testament there says, which Jesus do I release to you? Jesus called the Christ or Jesus Barabbas? Because Barabbas' name was, first name was Jesus. Bar means son. Son, Barabbas of authority or high exalted one. So, that's why Pilate did what he did. But you don't understand that because they were acting out the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, they would bring out two goats, identical, same name, goats. They would tie a red ribbon around the priesthood around the neck of one that was to be sacrificed to God. They would take and tie a red ribbon around the horn of the other, and they would sacrifice that one goat, and he would be killed for the sins of the nation. This is not individual here. God's dealing with the nation. And then they would take the other goat. You ever heard of scapegoat? That's where it comes from. It's in the Bible. They would take the other goat to the brow of a cliff. And they got where they would throw them off. And so the goat would die, be killed. Initially, when God instructed them, they didn't do that. And then to their horror, some days later, here would be seen walking around in Jerusalem. That goat, he'd come back home. He'd find his way back to the house. And they'd be, oh, God, our sins have revisited us again. So they started throwing him off the cliff so that he would die. Well, that's what was happening with Jesus. God was acting out all these, these feasts. The first preaching sermon message that Jesus ever did, uh, he did on the Day of Atonement. We know that from the scriptures that he read and so forth. It's just too long to get it. But Jesus, on his inaugural sermon, remember what happened? It was handed to him the scroll. And he found the place where it was written of him. And Jesus said, for the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me. And what he was declaring was in that moment that he was the Messiah. Now, at first, they were blown away with excitement and says, my God, you know. And then they said, wait a minute. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Best I can tell, he just called himself Messiah, son of God. And they're like, oh, yeah. And then they grabbed him, and they took him out to a brow of a cliff to throw him off. Is that what it says? But he passed through the midst of them. How you do that? When the whole crowd's got their focus on one guy, and how does he slip out of that crowd of crowd? Because God's at work. God's at work. So that, but they were trying to sacrifice him because he would be the one that would be sacrificed. He would be that scapegoat. Now, on the 14th day of Nisan, Passover begins. The Passover lamb, blood's applied one time, and death passed over. You're free. On the next day, on the 15th, of Nisan begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh, it, it's a seven-day feast. All right? Now, the Bible does not say 14th, 15th, on the 16th. 
Now, this is what most people miss. The Bible doesn't say on the 16th is the feast of first fruits. In other words, Jesus was a lamb that was sacrificed. He's in the grave, unleavened. Leaven means sin, error. There is no sin. Him who knew no sin became sin. So he, in typology, he's living that one out. He has no sin, right? And then first fruits. Jesus was, Paul said, Christ, the first fruits has raised from the dead. He's the first fruit of how many brethren? Many brethren. <laughs> Come on, y'all read 1 Corinthians. It'll bless you. Jesus Christ is the first fruit of many brethren. And that includes y'all sisterings too. Okay, y'all with me? Come on, y'all. Now, if you look at a Jewish calendar, a traditional Jewish calendar, it'll say 14th, Passover, 15th, Unleavened, and it'll go 16th, first fruits. And, and see, now you could, you could take an extrapolator, place that uh, over Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you could come out with a resurrection on that. But if God did everything like he said, ain't no way you can be in there three days, three nights, and come out with it like that. And all the Bible says about the Feast of first fruits is that this feast begins on the Sabbath, follow, the following Sabbath. The problem, why we come up with a Friday resurrection, how many knows that the Jewish Sabbath begins on Friday night sundown and ends on Saturday night sundown? Is that right, Howard? All right, that's, when it, that's, that's the weekly Sabbath, okay? All right, but when these holidays hit, and they can hit any day during the week, then that day is declared a Sabbath. For example, Passover is a one-day celebration. It's not a Sabbath, but this day is a Sabbath, the first day of this seven-day feast of unleavened bread, I just read it for you, is declared a Sabbath, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It's a Sabbath. And the last day of that seven-day feast is also a Sabbath. So you can see how you have, would have, maybe have several Sabbaths in a week, two-week period of time. Are you with me? So if you don't know that, that's why you end up with a Friday, Good Friday. And some people say, well, I don't care. Well, you should care. Because when a Muslim comes up to you and uses that scripture against you and say your Messiah is not the true one and when, and, when, and when some Jewish people use that scripture against you and use your Good Friday service against you and says the true Messiah said as Jonah was three days and three nights he would be in the heart of the earth and your Messiah did not stay three days and three nights. So he's false. And if you sit there and go, ugh, then you don't, you're not going to be able to help them. Now, I know when they show up with another testament, you switch off the lights and the TV and put your hands over the kid's mouth so they'll go away. Or when they're standing out there on Saturday morning with the magazine and you want to talk to them. But study to show thyself approved so you'll know what you're talking about because you're the one who said you believed it. So that's why it's important. That's why it's important because our culture is being more and more diverse I went down to Orlando the other day. I told you, my God, we're in a foreign country. I hadn't heard English spoken in hours. Didn't we say that? And I'm not mean that offensive. I'm just saying the culture now is diverse. And so everybody's not just going to jump on your South Georgia Bible buckle belt religion. You're going to have to say something. And it's going to have to make some sense. And, and you don't have to fear with the word of God. So God says it'll only begin on the Sabbath. That's why, in, in, why we come up with a Friday is because the book of John actually says, he says, for this was a special Sabbath or a high Sabbath. That's in your Bible. He tells you right there that there was a special Sabbath. 
And so when Jesus was crucified, Jesus Christ was taken as the Passover lamb. He died on Passover. The lamb of God died on Passover. Y'all think that was accidental or you think that was planned? You think, who planned it? God did. Okay, he was placed in the tomb. Now, see, this right here is a Sabbath day, the first day of this one, right? So you remember how in the Bible it says the women, you know, uh, the, the Jews told them, hurry up and get him down from the cross for tomorrow's the Sabbath? And we've got to get him down? Now, see, everybody makes the leap in the American church because we, we're so far from our Ju Judean roots. They make the leap in their thinking, logically, that we're talking about Friday. That's how you come up with a good Friday. No way. How do we know it ain't Good Friday? Because three days and three nights is not Good Friday. You understand? That's not three days, three nights. Well, maybe he didn't really mean three days. Oh, okay, so now we're going we're gonna to open that can of beer. So where does that end? Well, he didn't really mean that. I mean, he said this and this, but he didn't really mean that. He said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but he didn't really mean that. I mean, he no brother got needs and all. You want to open that can. He meant what he said. So on the, on the first day, so that's why the women didn't have time to prepare. All they had time to do before the sun went down and that Sabbath started because you can't be messing with a dead body and you can't be doing no work on the Sabbath if you're a Jew. So the women, all they had time to do was wrap his body with sheets and put him in the tomb and go home. Because that ain't how they do it. They, they would have done all the preparation for his body and put spices and all right then. They didn't have time. Why? Sabbath was coming on. So that means they put him in the ground about 6 o'clock. And so then they come back on that Sunday morning because the Sabbath is Friday. Do you understand? Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. Am I confusing the daylight side of you? They're coming back Friday night to Saturday night. The Sabbath ends at Saturday, you know, Saturday night. So they come back early Sunday morning because they don't have flashlights in those days. A lantern maybe. But they're coming back so that they can put the spices on there and do the job right. But when they come back, they find he's gone. Now listen to me. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say Jesus raised on Sunday morning. On first day of the week. The Bible always calls it first day of the week. That's, that's Sunday. You with me? It never says. There's nothing in the Bible about a sunrise service. And there's nothing in the Bible. I know some of you think it is because bless your hearts, you've heard it so all your life. There's nothing in the Bible that says he rose at sunrise. Because if he rose at sunrise, then he was in there past the time. So what happened was that Jesus was arrested on Tuesday. On Wednesday was the Passover. He was put on the cross at 9 o'clock in the morning. He, was, he died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And by 6 o'clock, which the Sabbath would have started, they had him in the grave and sealed the tomb. That's Wednesday evening. You go Wednesday evening to Thursday evening. How many hours is that? 24. You go Thursday evening to Friday evening. How many hours is that? 48. You go Friday evening to Saturday evening, how many hours is that? What time they put him in there? We, we, you know, what's the sun going now? Let's just say 6 o'clock, 6.30. So that means he resurrected exactly at 6.30 on Saturday evening. Or 6, 6, whatever time they put him in there. Because God said three days and three nights. How many knows that God's smart enough to know I saved me two hours on the dot? And God didn't need an Apple Watch to figure that out. So that means if he said, I'm going to be, God told us how long he would be in there exactly. Three days, three nights. How many hours is it? 72. So if he stayed in there 72 hours in one second, that wasn't 72 hours, was it? And Jesus said, this is my sign, and I'm the real Messiah. So that means he got out of that tomb. 
sundown, Saturday evening. All the Bible ever says is when they came Sunday morning, they found he was already gone. One of the passages actually says that it was still dark when they got there, and he was already gone. That kind of blows up your sunrise service right there. Because the Bible says in your New Testament, did you hold in your lap and read, it says that it was st- while it was still yet dark, and he was gone. So it's agreeing more with me than you. That's why I ain't going to get up early on Sunday morning and go stand in a sunrise service. There's nothing wrong. You're not stupid if you do it. I'm not mad. I'm not smarty britches and you're stupid. But don't invite me because I ain't a coming. Now I'll meet you at Saturday evening about 6.30 and we'll give glory to God that he's resurrected. Right? (laughs) Oh. And while it was still yet dark, he was gone. The tomb was empty. So if a Muslim or Orthodox Jewish person tells me, no, no, you, no. And you need to adjust your Jewish calendar because nowhere in the Bible does it say this feast begins on the 16th. It says it's just the day after Sabbath. And in the book of John, I think it's the 19th chapter, it says there was a high Sabbath that week. Special Sabbath. What was a special Sabbath? The Sabbath right here, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And because that's why the preparation was for it. So Christ was crucified. He was the Passover lamb. He has no sin, unleavened bread. He's put in the tomb. He stays there the full three days and three nights, and he comes out as the Feast of First Fruits, the day after that Sabbath, which would have been the day after that Sabbath. It's Friday night to Saturday night sundown, the regular Sabbath. He comes out of the tomb. The day after that Sabbath, that means Saturday evening, the Sabbath is over as far as Jewish God. See, our calendar, me and you think in terms of morning to morning. No, no. In the, in the beginning, in Genesis, and the evening and the morning was the first day. So you've got to start thinking like God thinks. So God don't see sunrise as the start of the day. God sees midnight one second as the start of the day. That should make somebody shout because darkness may endure for but joy cometh in the morning. See, see God says, I, even though it's dark to you, it's the beginning of a new day for me. The evening and the morning, that's the first day. Some you can't get inside until you see the sun rise up. Sun's already rose, and that's Jesus. That's, I love this, man. These always happen in March, April, first of the year. This is God's beginning of the year. If you don't have Passover in Jesus, you got nothing. And then, so Jesus Christ... He's in the tomb, he's crucified, he's in the tomb, he comes out on first fruit, and then the Bible says for count seven weeks after this feast. Seven weeks, and then on the next day is the feast of weeks. You know it better, it's Pentecost. Okay, so seven times seven is what? Forty-nine. And the next day would be what day? Fiftieth. The word Pentecost does not mean a denomination. It don't mean certain people. The word Pentecost, the word itself, just simply means 50. So when you say somebody to somebody, I'm Pentecost, then you're saying that you're 50. You may or may not want to claim that. The Feast of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, as is better known, as God calls it, the Feast of Weeks. Why do they call it weeks? Because it counted seven weeks the next day. All right, this is a feast that they came and the Torah, the, the, the word of God was actually given to Moses on this feast. They come with two loaves of bread, two loaves of bread. Here we got 
the unleavened bread, but they come with two loaves. They are commanded to come to the temple with two loaves. What is that? Jew, Gentile. God said, I've tore down the wall of partition, Paul said. Oh, we're one. And it's the birth of the church. Okay? Remember in Acts, Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come? This is the feast. Okay, so everything is happening exactly according to these feasts. And so now we get the birth of the New Testament church. When does that occur? Just any old day? Now, Jesus walked among them how many days in his resurrected body? 40 days and 40 nights. And then he was caught back up after 40 days, right? All right. But then he said, go into Jerusalem and tarry till you be endued with power from on high. Is that right? So they went to Jerusalem and they went into this upper room and they're, they're just hanging out. And what are they waiting on? For them to pray enough that God will do something? No. We know they were in there 10 days because this feast means what? Pentecost means what? Jesus was with them how many days? So 40 plus 10 is? And on this exact day, it says in Acts 2 and 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there appeared unto them cloven tongues of fire, and the sound of a mighty rushing wind filled all the house where they were assembled. And they all began to speak with other tongues and magnify and praise God. Is that right? That was a big event. 3,000 people got saved that day. Because you know why? Because the first one of these that ever happened was when God, when Moses got these, that's why these tablets are painted here. When Moses got the commandments, when he come down from the mountain, you might remember how many people died that day? 3,000 died that day. Remember? Moses got mad, throw the tablets down. 3,000 of those uh, Hebraic people died that day. Isn't it something that when grace came, 3,000 lived? They lived that day. You see how God done everything? I don't care what kind of church you go to. You, nobody can argue with that. Right, now we've got remaining just three feasts. Now, if you were a Jewish male, 20 or older, you had to come mandated to the feast. We see in Acts 18, after the resurrection of Jesus, the Apostle Paul still keeping these feasts. He says, I must return to Jerusalem to keep the feast. In that context, we know he was talking about Passover. So he, they, they still kept the feast. Jesus kept the feast. Hey, you remember when Jesus was 12 years old and at the temple? Why were they there? The Bible said they were keeping the feast. Jesus' mom and daddy hauled him to Jerusalem at the appointed feast. The three mandated feasts, unleavened bread, feast of weeks, and tabernacles. Okay? Now we begin, and, and, and in congruence with God's calendar, tabernacles begins. Actually, sundown this evening, but tabernacle begins. Are you with me? Now, so we are living in the church. We're between here and here. This is where, we're, this is where the church age is right in here. We're, we're in here, right here, right now. And, and God did everything in congruence with these feasts. What would make you think that he would ignore these three and just, you know, forget them? Because these three are still remaining to be fulfilled. Now, Messiah has fulfilled all these. This is the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, the Bible talks a lot, and I just don't have time to talk all the, but silver trumpets, gold trumpets were blown. Uh, out of all the feasts, you know, even this, uh, Marilee, she painted, you see just a sliver of the moon here. And I didn't even tell her to do all this. It was amazing. Uh, but we've got a sliver of the moon here. All these other feasts happen on a full moon, so they're very easy to know when they start. This is the only one of the seven feasts that begins on a new moon. Okay? And so that's why they had to have two witnesses to inform the Sanhedrin that they had seen the sliver of the moon. And when they saw that, they would, 
declare that to the Sanhedrin. They would command that the trumpet shofars be blown, and then they would light the, uh, uh, on the Mount of Olives, they would light a fire, or the, the, there was actually a tower, and then other places uh, in other mountains, Jewish would be watching for it because they knew it was near. They would light fires all the way to Babylon, and every Jew knew that the, the Feast of Trumpets has begun officially, and they would make their passage there. Now, Feast of Trumpets, and then we come to the, to the Day of Atonement, and I, and I just told you how that acted out with the, with the scapegoats, with Jesus. He, he, he lived that out. Now, Passover is a lamb for a house. It's a lamb for a person. Put your faith in Jesus. Here, the Day of Atonement, this is for the nation. They would do, the priests would do this for the nation. In other words, one man would die for the nation, the priest said. And they didn't even understand. Jesus said, the Bible says that they were being prophetic. And then you would begin the greatest, most joyous, celebratory feast of all, which is the one we're celebrating, is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, most everybody believes that this typifies the rapture of the church. At the last trump of God, the trump will sound. Dead in Christ shall rise. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Are you with me? And then right after that, we have this solemn 10-day atonement time. And five days later starts the Feast of Tabernacles. I don't see much time for a seven-year tribulation in there. You can have one if you want to, but it ain't going to happen for you. And the reason there's so much confusion, and I used to believe that there was and all that, and people scared the daylights out of you. And they'll, make, they'll just sap every bit of hope you've got for any kind of future at all for you or your kids or grandkids. Hey, you're going to get your head chopped off one day. You're going to take Margaret to beach. Oh, they scan in grocery. They, I remember when they started scanning pork and beans at the store, down there at the store, you know, and with that barcode. Oh, our church went crazy. Oh, God, this is how the market, this is how the Antichrist is going to do it. Well, you're going to, you know, you got to get your hand scanned before you can buy pork and beans. It's going to get rough. Hold true to the end. You know, hang on, Snoopy, hang on, all that mess. It's just ridiculous. The Bible's real clear on this. Uh, the return of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. Okay? Jesus, everything he did, his death, everything, his burial, his resurrection, the birth of the church was all in congruence. I'm almost done with these feasts. You agree with that thus far? Do you see how no man manipulated that? God did that exactly in congruence and in agreement and in harmony with the feast. Now, what rational person would think that he would just ignore it? So, now this is where people are going to get mad and, and you know, whatever. That's not my point. And my point's not to be some kind of smarty britches or something. But if I know the truth, I want to tell you the truth. I've been studying these feasts for 15, 20 years. That's why I don't need my iPad. I don't mean that arrogantly, but I, I, they're ingrained in me now. I, that don't mean I don't learn something new every year. I do. But what we're waiting on now is for, for that trump to sound. For the Lord himself shall ascend. Why? Because he's coming after his wife. He ain't going to send nobody to do this. That's my wife. You got good sense. You don't send another man to get your wife on your wedding day. You go pick her up yourself. You feel me? Pick her up yourself, bro. Feast of trumpets. Trumpets going to sound. The nations are going to be 
they're going to see the Messiah. The, 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 the reign of Christ the King is on from then on. The millennial reign of, of uh, Christ, whatever you want to frame it in terminology. People get very confused because they read Matthew 24 as if Matthew 24 is all future yet to happen. And that's why they're very confused because Matthew 23, which men put chapters, not Jesus. But he says that all these things that he's fit to talk about is going to come on that one generation. And he, and he identified that the, the generation he was talking to. So when it says this generation shall not pass away till all these things will fill, that generation did not pass away and all those things that Jesus said about destruction of Jerusalem and destruction of the temple were fulfilled. But now as far as his return, then that's a mystery. And any, I'm going to tell you something that you can always bank on, okay? Anybody that writes anything and tells you when they, they figure it out, when the Lord's coming, you can go ahead and, and know that that's wrong because you're not going to know. Do you, do you hear me on that? So nobody knows. But... Based on the Bible, I do believe, and not me, but many, many thousands and millions believe this, so I'm not some wild oat here believing something weird, is, uh, I mean, any of y'all ever even heard of Perry Stone? You may or may not like it. I mean, he, he, he believes it, so it's got to be right. He's like the Billy Graham of the Pentecostal Church of God, so he's got to be right. He believes this. Now, he took some slack for it. But he believes this. Last time I read something he wrote about it, he said he believed this. And, uh, but on one of these Feast of Trumpets, and it's not going to happen this one because we've already passed it. So I'm not saying go live like the devil for another year. But I believe based on the word of God that God's not going to ignore these feasts and everything in the New Testament about trumpets and blowing and all that. And he's, that's when he's coming for his church. And I still believe he's going to come for his church. He's going to come for his wife. Don't you hope he is? I do. Even so, come quickly when them bills are coming, right, baby? I know what you say. Trumpet's going to blow. The Lord himself's going to, uh, you know, uh, gather us together. Uh, I don't know exactly which one it will be. Now, some people get confused, and when it says no man will know the day and the hour, you know, of, of the Lord's coming, that's in Matthew 24. That's actually referring to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. But a lot of guys that don't even understand how that paradigm, they will use that and say, because of this sliver of the moon, it's easy to miss it. If clouds were there, they could miss it. I mean, that could very well be the case as well. But all the other feasts, including the Feast of Tabernacles, you notice how bright it was last night? Did you look outside last night? You look out your window and you see, you think you left the corner lights on or something? But it's just that bright because we're at full moon now, because we're at the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and these feasts portray God's redemptive plan for mankind. It begins with the Passover lamb, and it, 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 it finishes with the Feast of Tabernacles. And God himself is the one that designed these feasts. He instituted these feasts, and, and everything is working in congruence with these feasts. So when people come up with all this flaky stuff, one of the things that's helped me over the years not to get caught up in that is, and I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I ain't never believed something flaky because if you hang around people, you'll, you know, like, whoa. But the reason I haven't got just pulled into that is because this is the paradigm here. This is the, this is the baseline. This is God's order right here. And if God did these first four, then I know that God is, is a God of order. God's going to fulfill these three. 
So on one of these years, and I don't know which one it will be, but see, I used to believe, because I was taught that, any minute rapture. Lord, come any minute. He's going to come before you can get to your car. You better get down here and get right. Oh, that didn't do it for you? I'm going to tell three car wreck stories and one killing, and then that'll scare you and I'll get you down here. I mean, none of that mess. Okay? The goodness of God is what leads men to repent and come to Christ. It's God's goodness. Okay? Not dangling them over hell on a rock stick. Not, not doing that. So I used to believe in any minute rapture. That's why when I was raised up, I never wanted to go to college. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't even want to, I didn't even want to pack up the Christmas stuff because I knew before the next year Jesus would come. And you see her bobbing her head? That's my wife. And she knows when we were first married, and I was sincere, but I was just sincerely uninformed, misinformed. I would sincerely look at my wife and say, well, this will be the last year we ever put these out. Now, I went to a seminar at an AG church, and it wasn't just called AG church. Well, I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, it's already out there. <laughs> but I went to a seminar where a guy had a chart and a poking stick, you know, and maps of Israel and Russia in red. And uh, he, t- he, he guaranteed us the Lord would come before 1985. But see, I got married in 1980, so, you know, I just knew. I mean, I, I, I remember watching that calendar, 85. And see, don't look at me like that because then a bunch of folk, none of us in here, but y'all out there on Facebook, y'all bought that book that said 88 reasons Jesus is coming in 88. That brother made millions off that. That's a well-known book. He sold, I mean, just thousands of copies. Now, he might still be alive and be aggravated, but I think he's probably down at Ritz Carlton somewhere having a Mai Tai with a straw hat on somewhere on the beach. But, uh, and so, you know, guess what? We, it didn't happen in 88. And, and if you bought the book, that's okay, because a lot of us was getting caught up in that. This guy, this, he figured it out. In 88, the Lord's coming. Well, what day that he was pegging? He was pegging some of these holidays, some of the, the festival of the Lord, because some of these guys started getting into the revelation. Oh, well, yeah, the Lord's going to come. Well, then he wrote another book. Had to write it in quick. And I'm not making this up. He wrote another book, and it was, you know, 89 reasons that he's coming now in 89 because I miscalculated something for 88, and people bought that book because they're trying to figure out, you know, the mess from the other book. Well, that way you get to sell two books. And if we're not careful, we get caught up in stuff because a real notable preacher may be behind some of this. But please don't get mad. You might sell food in a, in a five-gallon bucket to bless your ministry, but don't sell it to us when Katrina's coming bearing down on us. Don't, don't get on your talk show, preacher, and, and, and scare the heck out of people with your doomsday preps when Florence is out there and they're hauling monster category four, all that, on the weather channel. Because just because the guy is doing this don't mean the wind is blowing that strong. I ain't the only one saw that. My brother need to just come forth and confess and clean up. Because I ain't going to believe nothing none of y'all tell me from now on. I'm so sick of all that. I love those two guys just walking past, you know, casual. 
<laughs> I mean, their hair ain't even blowing hardly, you know. And he can't even stand. And then you're going to tell me because he's on grass and they on concrete. I wasn't born today, but it wasn't yesterday either. I'll tell you that. You don't get caught up in that. And just because there's a big preacher with a big church and writes a lot of books about blood moons, wars, famines, just because he screams hard and loud and makes bad faces. Because I always assumed that them guys knew a whole lot more than I did. And a lot of times I myself have gotten sucked in and pulled into that stuff and become fearful or doubtful or confused at, at the least. And by God's grace and help, I'm just getting old enough, I'm not going to get sucked up in that no more. I'm not going to, fear has no place in the life of a believer. And if God's telling me something, it ain't to make me afraid. God's, that's just not how, who God is. And you don't have to fear about your future. You don't have to fear about the future of your children or your grandchildren. I'm not saying this world don't have some problems. Obviously, you've got TV and news. I mean, it does. But, but I'm telling you this, that a lot of things that we've been taught have not built faith and confidence in us. And I remember because I believed the enemy and right the Lord going to come. I mean, and I've always told you guys, so I guess I should just stay consistent year after year for probably eight years. It, I could be wrong. I'm not omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent. I'm not none of that. I'm just a guy in love with God, and I'm in love that he's in love with me. That's what I love. Not that I love him, but he loves me. And I love teaching his word. I've wanted to quit church and religious people a million times. I really have. And there are even times now I wonder if I can keep doing this much longer. Not because of the Bible, gospel, or Jesus, but just all the other junk that goes with it. Because you get knifed a lot, you get betrayed a lot, you get lied to a lot. And we as a family, you put a lot of confidence in that. I've got blood kin family that won't have nothing to do with me because of the way I preach and believe. And they're going to send me stuff and a prophecy. And a, and a prophecy really made the rounds, you know. Actually, it's just catching up in a lot of people's news feeds, or at least I'm just seeing it. I'm sure the guy means sincere, whatever. Just because you get in the pulpit December the 31st, 2017, and you read an hour-long prophecy that you wrote out because you, I'll just say, ticked off from what I normally would say. And you didn't get your coffee that morning. And you got a word from God. And your word is this. That all you lukewarm Christians and backslidden Christians and compromising Christians, God's going to remove his presence from you. That's what he said. He went on to say that the NFL won't never be what it has ever been in the, you know, before. Whoa, I didn't see NFL in the Bible nowhere. I missed them scriptures. Brother, you've been watching way too much TV. I don't care what the NFL does, really, frankly. I, mean, I enjoy watching a game every now and then, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm more into G.O.D. instead of NFL. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's what, that's what I'm about. I'm not going to get caught up. You don't hear me getting political, and you never will. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm not an independent. I'm a follower of Jesus. 
I'm not even an admirer of Jesus because many are admirers of him, but they're not followers of him. But I'm a follower of him. Jesus didn't say admire me and I'll make you fish. He said follow me. And sometimes he'll lead you in places you wouldn't think he would lead you. He'll lead you, look like he's leading you out of the greenest pasture you've ever seen and crossing into a wilderness. Ain't he no grass, much less will drink of water. But he's out leading you. He's not behind you with a spear shoving you. So anytime I fear that spear in my back, or you trying to manipulate me or use fear on me, I know it ain't my Savior. Because that ain't how he deals with his kids. That's not how he deals with his kids. He's out in front of you and he's leading you. He's all around you. God made sure that he made you safe. He put you in Christ and then put Christ in you. You figured that one out. God loves you. I tell you that often. Not because you love him, because we love him. The Bible says because he first loved us. That tells me I didn't even have the capacity. I don't even have the capacity to love God unless I first receive his love for me. And, not, and I'm the beloved now. And so I'm just not going to get caught up in all these things that people like to get caught up in now. And they like to scare. And I, and I look at you, I really do, I look at you as sheep. I'm a, I'm a shepherd, I'm a sheep, but I'm also, my, as a, I'm an under-shepherd, under the chief shepherd. I, I laugh at these titles, all these preachers, you know, chief apostle, potentate executive, chief, proctor, whatever. Man, whatever flies you, you kite, brother. Whatever makes you feel like you imported, I don't know. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible ever call a man apostle anything or pastor anything or evangelist anything. So you just thought I lied to you. I could tell by your expression. No, it doesn't. It says Paul, comma, an apostle. You'll never see the word apostle or pastor or evangelist or in front of somebody's name in the scripture. Now, does that mean a rule that we shouldn't break? No. Don't get all religious on me. Stop looking for rules. But I'm Dale. I'm a pastor. But God loves me just because I'm Dale. Not because of what I do for him. It's just my job description. Just my calling. It's my privilege. It's my gifting to get to, to do that. Today's been awesome in here. Me, the best part's not been my talk here on the feast. It's been what happened earlier. But I want you to get this in your heart. Because if you really do get this, uh, you won't be blown away by stuff. You'll be stable. Whether I'm, up, whether I'm doing it or not, whether, you know, you know, no matter what I'm doing, but you'll be stable because you're in him, what you believe. You, you're not going to get you know, thrown away by all this stuff. All these guys that say they believe in all this stuff, if, if you ever write anything that seems to open up the option of otherwise, but why don't you preach on it then if you believe on it so strong? Why don't you preach on it then? <laughs> you don't preach on it. You must not believe it as bad as you want to defend it if you feel like somebody's arguing with you on it. These feasts paint a picture of God's heart for us and his care for us. They have to do with the feeding of, of even the natural things in these feasts, aggregating society, and, and it shows the heart of a loving father who cares for his kids. And on one of these days, because of Jesus has done these things in typology, you know, in, in types and shadows, 
Because you show it to me in the New Testament, I can actually show it to you in the Old. And or vice versa. Because the New reveals what's in the Old. And the Old explains what's in the New. It's all there. I'm so thankful for the grace of God that causes 3,000 to live instead of 3,000 to die when the law was given. And when I see the grace of God now, and now as I, as I see the goodness of God, when people say things about God or they teach these things, and, and so I wrote a blog just like I told you I would the other, what was it, last Sunday, I guess. You, you read it, right? Because I went home and spent my time that I was supposed to be helping Jill in the kitchen, and I said, I, for our oldest son's birthday dinner, and I said, I told the people I was going to write this, I got to get this done. And uh, I wrote, uh, Hurricane Florence, here we go again. And, uh, and, and that one went, you know, in other words, I can always tell because I've got people coming in, you know, you know, one woman took it upon herself to correct my wrong theology, you know. But my delete button worked so good on her comment. It just did. I highlighted it and then took pleasure in deleting it. Uh, but, uh, hey, I, you know, I'm paying for this. This ain't your dime. Get off my page. Hallelujah. It's my page. <laughs> if it bothers you that bad, I ain't writing to you. You ain't my target. You ain't who I'm talking to. You know, if you don't like my page, change the channel is what I'm saying. Because I'm not writing to you. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not writing to you. But there are people that are starving for the good news of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. I want you to stand to your feet. I want us to pray, and I want to dismiss you. I, uh, I, I pray that you can, you know, just because, see, I, in one hand, and, and there's no law, there's no law here. And I always tell people, listen, man, I'm not saying if you go to a church and they don't ever teach on this or they don't keep the Feast of Tabernacles that you're, you know, a bad church. Some churches don't even know why they have a spring-fall revival. But if you go back to it, this is why you have that. But the roots are just... Some, some married couples don't even know why they take a piece of cake after the ceremony and cut it and that the groom sticks a piece in the wife's mouth and the wife, you know, now shoves a piece of cake in, the, in her new husband's mouth. And everybody laughs and they take a picture and they got cake all over their face. And nobody knows why they do that because it's in the Bible. Why? Because they just took a covenant. And God taught us about covenant. He said, as soon as you make covenant like David and Jonathan did, the next thing you do is have a covenant meal. And then you take your food and say, I give my food to you. For my food is now your food. And that husband takes his food and gives it to his new wife and says, my food. And all that I have is now your food. That's why you shove cake in each other's face. But we've lost the roots of why we do what we do. And now we've gotten squeamish, so we buy each other rings. But in those days, they cut the fingers. And with blood running down, they put their hands together, and they wrapped a red ribbon around it and pulled them tight. And the blood of that wife and that uh, husband commingled. As little boys, we would prick our finger with our best buddies and make a pact or club member some of y'all ain't old enough to know what I'm talking about, but we would do that when I was a little kid. If you weren't man enough to take that needle in the finger, you weren't man enough to be in our club. We'd say, you need to go down and join them girls' club. That's where you need to go. <laughs> this is a blood club here, yeah, boy. You got to be in this thing. But what we're saying is that we're one. 
the blood that runs in my veins now runs in your veins. That's what Jesus did, y'all. He said, my food's your food. My blood's your blood. My life now is your life. I killed you off. I didn't try to repair your old life. I crucified you with me. I buried you with me. And now you are the first fruits of the resurrection. And I birthed you with grace. And no 3,000 will die, but 3,000 now live. And all that you're waiting on is the sound of the trumpet. I'm going to call you home forever. That's it, that's it, man. It's all these feasts. Don't try to scare me. All your stuff. I'm not buying it no more. Because I got these feasts as a bedrock. Seven year tribulation. What did you say, seven years? Nah, I can't. Nah, nah, ain't going with that. It don't fit. Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning. Nah, I can't buy into that one either. I ain't got to figure it out, but I know you're wrong. You got to get in the upper room fast and pray and believe God. Maybe if he sees you sweated enough, then he'll try to send his Holy Ghost. Nah, don't say nothing about no prayer. It just says when the day of Pentecost fully comes, then, then he came. So we're not working for this. God's working for his calendar. Lord ain't going to ever come back no more. Ah, I believe he is. He's going to come back so loud he's going to blow a trumpet when he comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's coming back. He's coming back. Yeah. Tabernacles. In gathering. Feast of joy. Feast of my celebration. Gathering in the grapes and the olives and the, all the fruit and the pomegranate. Celebrate. And it's commanded that you can't cry. You can't do any, you can't you cannot come into the feast of tabernacle according to the Bible with a sorrowful heart. It's commanded. And isn't that what the New Testament told us? For this is a day the Psalm the Lord has made Psalms. The Lord has made. I, I will rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, New Testament said Paul said. How often? And in case you didn't hear it, what he, did he repeat it? And then he said, and again I say, rejoice. Why? Because it's not our nature to rejoice. It's not our nature to complain, gripe, and be fearful. But God says, that's not the nature of my people. Because you got something to rejoice. Don't tell me to rejoice if I, if I don't feel like rejoicing. You let them show up with a handful of flowers and that big check with a million dollars, that giant check from sweepstakes or something. You could have been in there crying your eyes out, watching your stories. And being depressed along with them depressed people telling you the stories as the stomach turns or whatever. <laughs> and you all caught up in that. But that doorbell ring and you go to the door and they hand you a dozen red roses and hand you that big check. All of a sudden, you are rejoicing. Now, what happened? Did your metabolics? No, you made a decision. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. Now, you got to make a decision because of what Jesus has done. I'm going to rejoice in spite of it. In spite of it. And that's what we're going to do these next three nights. We're going to come in and rejoice. Hey, man, I'm good just like we did this morning. I'm good if we just camp out on one song. I'm good if we don't even do a song. I'm good if that's all we do is songs. I've done preached enough. I ain't got no itch that I need scratch. I'm good if I preach if I don't. I mean, I love to preach and teach the Word of God. But, I, I you know, I, I mean, I'm okay. I'll be all right. I'll be all right.
But we're going to come, and, I, and what I'm going to do is tomorrow night, so I'm going to stand up there like I do every year, and I'm going to say, God, now you, this is your calendar. I didn't think of this as you did. We decided to enter into the benefits of this with you, and I gathered your people here tonight because you told us to gather. And I know you never gathered people just to be doing. So I don't know what your plan is and what, you know, what kind of presents you want to give them and all this week. But we want you to know, Papa, we're here. And we love you and we love by you. And for these next three nights, we're just going to hang out here with you. And whatever you want to do, or if you don't want to do nothing but just let us smell your clone, I'm good with that. We just want to hang out with you. One thing about my daddy, my natural daddy, he always hung one clone once he got a hold of that musk or that Giovanna musk or something, that orange-colored uh, my dad's in the hospital today, but it's amazing what you think about when he ain't around. <clears throat> it, me, I change every time. I change every, I change all the time. I'm weird that way. I'm weird that way. My daddy, he, he got a hold of that Jovan Musk. He never changed. I don't know where he gets it from. He must get it from the black market. I don't know where he gets it. But you always have that. And my daddy put a, put, a, put a fair amount on. And I've had people tell me, I know when your daddy came in the door, I smelled him when he came on the back door. And then even in church here or whatever, I put my arms around my dad and I hug him, kiss him on the cheek, say, I love you, daddy. He said, I love you too, son. And I go home that afternoon or be riding in my truck headed away from here, go get something to eat. Oh, gone. I smell like I got Joe Vaughn Musk on now. What are you talking about, preacher? There is a fragrance that God has. For so it says, we have seen that these men have been with God. Papa has a fragrance. A lot of people miss it. But if you'll get, just hug on him a little bit, just, you'll walk away from him and be hours from the encounter. God, I smell you. Some of you ain't going to believe this, but one time I got so desperate, I had a little boy in my church that was dying of cancer. His name was Jonah. I done buried his daddy. Man, I wanted to see that little fella healed. He went to our Christian school. I was reading a book by Bill Johnson, talked about when heaven invades earth. And it said, if you're really hungry, you know, go after something. I'd always told God my address, if he wanted me, he'd come where I was at. Nah, that's not the best way to approach it. So by myself, and I hate to fly, but I got on a plane in Atlanta, Georgia, and I flew to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I wasn't even registered for the conference. I was hoping that they wouldn't turn me away once I got there. Got my rental car, drove there. Got to the church an hour and a half early. They were meeting at two venues, one in Harrisburg and one, and that one was packed. I couldn't, they wouldn't let me in there. And they sent me out near Gettysburg to some little town. And I went out there, and I had my $100 for the registration. And Bill talked about Johnson, about laying hands on people and impartation, and Randy Clark's going to be there, and all these people, you know, that I admired, still do. 
I don't say I agree with everything they say or do, but I, I admire them. I admire their passion, definitely, for God. And I walked over and I handed that lady my registration. I said, I'm not registered, but I'd like to register for the conference. And uh, she, uh, I said, ma'am, do you, do you know who, uh, who's speaker here tonight? I know this ain't the main one. This is the overflow. And she said, no, you can go to that other table down there and ask them, and after I get you registered, and they'll tell you. So I went down there, and I asked, I said, ma'am, you know who the speaker is tonight? She looked at me, she said, Bill Johnson. I went, I was so excited in my heart. I went to go into the, the meeting room in the sanctuary, and as I approached the door, there was an usher there, and they said, you can't go in right now. It's only for partners. <laughs> and I said, you know, because I'm not a partner, I guess. I can't go, you know. So It's easy to get offended at religious stuff if you, you carry a chip on your shoulder. I said, that's okay. I said, when can I get in? She said, you can get in an hour before, but not right now. I said, okay, I'll just hang out here. Now, see, a devil would tell you, I'd just get back in my car and go back to the hamlet, but I ain't. I ain't there for the devil. Now, you ain't going to believe this. I don't care if you do or don't. But I waited my 30 minutes. I opened my door, and I stepped into that sanctuary. There's plenty of room, big church. When I went in, as soon as I walked in, whew, man, it smells good in here. I'm going to find out what they got in the little spray units right here and get Pastor Johanna to get us some of that. It's awesome. Just filled my nose. I went down as close to the front as I could get where it wasn't reserved, and I took a seat. <laughs> you don't know how hard it is immediately to leave this woman here. I don't like to be away from the house. When I was sitting there, I was smelling this fragrance. I just began to weep. Lady come over to me and asked me, was I all right? Could she help me? I couldn't even talk to her. I was really just wanting, lady, leave me alone, please. Let me just sit here a little bit. God's presence was so strong. I went through the service. It was powerful. I enjoyed it. I left the meeting, walked outside. I could still smell it. I got in that rental car, closed the door. I could still smell it. I went back to my room at the Hampton. I could still smell the fragrance of God. I remember that I needed to change my flight and fly home a day earlier than I had originally planned. And you know, when I reached into that, uh, between the beds there to get the phone book, pretty thick in them bigger towns, and as I reached in there to, to, to do that, as I opened the door, there laid a pornography magazine on top of the phone book. I mean, boom, you're just being hit with uh, pornography and nudity right there. I couldn't believe that the devil would launch a kind of an attack like that. And I remember I took that magazine and I folded it up where I couldn't see that image. And I'd like to tell you that there would be a time in my life that where I've never been tempted with that. But you're only tempted with things that you could be tempted with. Boy, what a ruined trip that would have been to sit in the motel room at the Hampton by myself looking at pornography. But the devil thought I was that guy, apparently. I folded that magazine up and I put it in that uh, Wendy's bag. I went through the drive through Wendy's after service, got me a little something to eat. And I throwed it in a trash can, and I was sitting over there. 
And it made me mad that he shot one off on me like that, you know. So I said, that ain't, I'm, I, and I took the Wendy's bag and I walked them halls till I found a bigger, better trash can. <laughs> put it in there. I went back to the room, laid across the bed, and just began to weep and worship the Lord. I said, Father, I don't want that mess in my life. Too many men and women, too, are struggling in that area today because it's so easy to access it from every cell phone or computer you got. Don't get sucked into that mess and pulled into that. It don't make God love you less, but it'll sure make you love him less. I smelled that fragrance all the whole time. I drove out to Gettysburg. I'd never been there. I love history, and I walked on those grounds, and I drove through that park, and I could smell that fragrance. I went to a restaurant to eat, and even their food smell didn't override the smell of the fragrance of the Lord that I first smelled when I walked into that sanctuary. Whether you believe me or not, every moment from that point on, I smelt that fragrance. And the only time the fragrance left me is when I stepped on that plane, that Delta plane, to fly back to Atlanta. When I stepped in the plane, it departed. And I wept. Not because I thought God was gone, but I just enjoyed a supernatural time hanging out with him. Only two times in my life has that ever happened to me. So I don't believe none of that. That's okay. It wasn't you, it was me. I enjoyed it. I would like God to do that again, but I've been in services and I've seen some amazing things. I was in a service where he filled the whole sanctuary with the fragrance of the Lord. Anything unusual happens in your life, just pause. I'm going to tell you a story maybe tomorrow night, if you remind me. And say, God, is this you? Watch him answer you. I love the journey. I don't like the religious mess that goes with it sometimes. That ain't him. Don't get confused. But I love the journey with Papa. I love him. Because I'm loved by him. Amen? I hope I help somebody today. By the Spirit. Be encouraged. Men, women, don't struggle with that mess. We all got earth suits. Flesh wants what flesh wants. I had a guy call me Friday. He didn't call me, he texted me. He said, Pastor Dale, I was sitting under my garage. Jill knows where I sit there sometime when I want to take a little break from that weed eater and stuff. I was sitting there and the phone buzzed and I ain't heard from this guy in years. He was a young preacher in a town far from here and he got hung up in pornography and stuff. And I know he never would admit to me face to face that he was actually involved with it. He was about to lose his marriage and everything. He texted me Friday, Pastor Keith. He said, Pastor Dale, I just want to tell you how much I love you and how much you helped me years ago when I was struggling with pornography in my life. And I never did say to you, but he said, you knew I was. He said, I remember you give me that book called Every Man's Battle. He said, I want you to know that God used you and that book and his power to set me free years and years ago. 
And he said, I've got a meeting in my office at 3 o'clock with a young teenage boy in my church. And he said, I got that book waiting on him. And I'm armed with such confidence to tell him that God can set you free. And he said, before I went into that meeting, I just want to text you and tell you how much I love you and what you mean to me. I began to weep just sitting there. Because a lot of us, a lot of times, won't feel like you do no good to nobody. Because you don't see the fruit of what you've done. It may be like that two decades later. But now he's not a young man struggling. He's an older pastor, pastor in a church. And now he's armed. And he's equipped to set others free because he's been set free. Amen. Amen. So, Father, we thank you today for the Feast of Tabernacles. And as we've blown the shofar today and we declare an appointed time because you, you have chosen it. And we say to you that we're going to meet here tomorrow night by your grace to assemble. And these are your sheep. These are your children. These are your daughters and sons. And, and we pray that you would just accomplish what you have planned for us. We're just going to come and gather and assemble with faith in our hearts and appreciation for you. And God, I thank you for today. Thank you for this day. All the many things that you've done in our lives today. I bless your children for they're blessed of the Lord. Highly favored. Exalted ones of you. Chosen. Free indeed. Righteous and healed. We are what you say we are. God bless you, church. Amen.